Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast is sponsored and dedicated in loving memory. Lilui Nishmat Machluf George Ben Zairada Alava Shalom, sponsored by Yossi Levi. Breakfast is also dedicated in loving memory of Harav Zaman Wine, Oween Alava Shalom, Lilui Nishmat. Uh, Rav Shmuel Ephraim Ben Harav Naftali Yitzchak and Gitol Alava Shalom, sponsored by his daughter Dina Ween Reese. Uh, breakfast is also sponsored by Michael Dahan on the occasion of the eighth day of Hanukkah, La Slacha for success in everything, and in honor of the engagement of Leila Shohet to Akiva Raskin. Breakfast is also sponsored by Yaakov Sharazi on the occasion of the eighth day of Hanukkah, La Slacha for success in everything. Rabotai, first of all, I'm not sure if we should be giving today's shiur in English or in Spanish. Uh, I'm not sure we are outweighed by people from Mexico and from people from Panama who have come in uh, to, uh, to, to join uh, Am Yisrael in this magnificent ma'amad and this Yuma Shas, which is going to be a tremendous uh, Kiddush Hashem on Wednesday. To everyone here and to anyone who's listening out there, if you can get tickets to this event, you absolutely should go. It's the most beautiful thing. Tremendous Kiddush Hashem to see in a place where the whole world gathers for other things that we gather. That we gather for what's it called? For our, only for Torah and to celebrate the finishing of a of a very difficult chapter of learning Torah. That is a magnificent thing. It brings tremendous nahat ruach in the shamayim. And I just want to add one thing. The midrash tells us that in the end of time, laatid lavo, in the time of Mashiach, the stadiums of the world are going to be taken over in order to be able to use. Uh, for what's it called, for words of Torah, for gatherings, for Hezuk, for Am Yisrael, for mitzvot. And all the Sifarim ask, if you want to get it together, everybody, in order to be able to have uh, words of Torah, Mechila, Mechila. If we have opportunities um, to use, what's it called, to use for, uh, for words of Torah, so Hashem has to give us the stadiums. All the Mefarshim ask, what do you need a stadium for? Go get a big, go build a big bet knesset. Go build a big bet midrash. Why do you need to do it in, in a giant stadium? What's the point? More people. And they say something, no, but build a bigger shul. <laughs> I, you know, I went to Morocco a while back. There's a, a, some sort of a mosque there. I don't know which, what the name of the mosque is. In Casablanca. They fit tens or hundreds of thousands of people come to pray there. So why can't you build? Why can't we build a bet knesset that has enough space for all the people to pray? Why do we need to take over the stadiums? And I saw the most magnificent answer. The answer that they bring is because there's something that we have to learn from the non-Jewish people, from the, world, the goyim of the world, when they go to a football game, and they go to a basketball game, and they go to a, a baseball game. The guy hits a home run, what happens? The whole place, ah! Could you imagine if that's how we said Amen Yesh Merabah in Shul? Could you imagine if that's how we would respond to one another in the Bet Midrash? The screaming, I don't know if you know, last night Seattle lost a heartbreaker. You know what they call the stadium with all the people that is packed in this place? They call them the 12th man. They feel like they're even a part of the team. Why? Because they scream so loud, you can't even hear yourself think. Okay? That is why in the times of Mashiach, we're going to have to take over the stadiums that the the Midrashim explained to us so that we'll be able to not only pack out with so many people words of Torah, but to bring the energy that they'll bring for some guy running across a line with a, with a ball, we'll be able to bring to Chaye Olam Abba. Rabotai, on Wednesday, we're seeing the Kiyum of something that they promised us for thousands of years. So when it says in the time of Mashiach, we're going to have it, and not just one stadium this time. 
It says in the Midrash stadiums. It's not just going to be MetLife. It's also going to be Barclays Center. It's going to be other places. They're renting in other... What an unbelievable thing. He only has in his world Dalid Amot, the four Amot of Halakha. That's what God has in this world. And now those four Amot of Halakha are spreading and expanding. What an opportunity. I think and I wonder if that's why there's been a tremendous uptick in anti-Semitic attacks, specifically in New York. I don't think the mamzerim, yemach shemam v'zechram, that are attacking Jews, they even know why they're doing it, or shooting Jews. They don't know why they're doing it. They don't understand why there's an uptick. I'm telling you that I think in my heart of hearts, the reason is because Am Yisrael is heading towards a Kiddush Hashem of epic proportions, and every time Kiddushah swings up in a place, the Tumah in that same place has to fight against it. It doesn't know what to do. It feels threatened. So even though they don't even know why they're doing it, all of a sudden now, in the, week, the same week we're experiencing this, to me it's a clear thing. They don't know what to do. The Yetzirah is desperate. He's on the run. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be involved in the celebration of finishing all the Masechtot of Shas. So Rabotai, unfortunately, we're experiencing the byproduct of that on the streets. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bring us not just the signs of the coming of Mashiach, but Be'ezrat Hashem, the actual coming, the event itself, where Mashiach will rent out all the stadiums in the entire world to bring all the people, not just the Jewish people, but all of the world to, uh, to understand and to come to realize Ki Amunai Elokim En Od Milvado. There's an amazing experience that we find in this week's parasha. The pasuk says that when Yosef uh, finally brings all the Jewish people, the whole family down to Egypt, so it's a very emotional moment. 22 years he hasn't seen his father. His father thought he was dead. His father never stopped mourning for 22 years. And he could not, he could not find any sort of comfort. So finally he comes down to Egypt. Finally, he knows the dream of Yosef is actually true. Could you imagine what this moment must have been like? Yosef sees him, runs up to his father. I imagine it in slow motion. You know, like in the movies. Yosef is running. Da, 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 da. Throws his arm around the Yaakov Avinu. And he bursts into tears. Vayef, says the pasuk. Al tzavaro. And he cries on his neck. Es gemara. What do you mean, Vayefk al Tsevaro? What, only he cried on his neck? Not that they cried on each other's necks, like we find with Yosef and Benjamin. His father's seeing him now. Answers the Gemara, the most cryptic and strange expression. The Gemara says, what did he do in that moment? In that moment, he chose to say Kriyat Shema. Because it was the time to say Kriyat Shema, he had to say, he had to pray Arbit. So even though he was crying on him, what did he do? Rashid brings that. Yeah, Yaakov is like this. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu, and Yosef is crying. All the Mitzvahim ask the same question. Now you're praying Arbit. Go to the later minyan and sit shul. You know, hug him, cry with him. Now you have to pray Arbit. You couldn't pray early Arbit in the office, and you know by the Minha Arbit. You know that one. You couldn't pray late Arbit. Now you have to pray. 
especially Yaakov, had a, you know, I have five girls and a boy. So for me, it's very difficult. But Yaakov, he travels with his own minyan. <laughs> Make our beef, our beef whatever you want it to be, right? The answer is that Yaakov Avinu is not praying the Shema Yisrael of our beef. That's not what's happening here. Rather, there's something else going on. And I want to quote to you from the words of the Stipe Gaon who brings the Terutz of the Maharal of Prague and Gur Aryeh. And I think he adds a little bit of his own. And that's why I'm saying it to you in the name of, uh, of, the, of the Stipler, who was the father of Rechaim Kanievsky. He says this, could you imagine that? A, the leader of the generation, Gadol Ador, who has a son, who's also the next leader of the generation. It's not a simple thing that. You know, you think even sometimes people, their children could be rabbis, but are they also the Gadol Ador? Next generation, unbelievable that, okay? So listen to this. <clears throat> he says, at the time that, ya- y- y- what's it called? That Yaakov saw that Yosef was alive, he said Shema Yisrael, not because of the obligation of nightfall, but he said Shema Yisrael because he felt in that moment that he needed to accept upon himself to be mekabel ol malchut shamayim in that split second. He saw something that was so big and that was so grand and he decided, what, did I, what do I want to do with this experience? Which is so moving, which is so powerful. And that second, Yaakov looked and saw that everything had been taken care of. That God's plans, no matter what anyone wants of them, they will come true whether you like it or not. The dreams that he'd had, Aviv shamaret davar. His father was waiting. He said, if this is real, it's going to happen with the brothers or without the brothers. It's going to happen in a way that I could never have imagined it. And here they are. Yaakov says, Shema Yisrael. He's Mekadesh. He takes this wonderful, this amazing opportunity to be able to uh, dedicate it to God. The great tzaddikim of this world, and we as well can emulate them in some way. They choose to take very, very special moments and do something with them. Rabbi Tai, do you remember the last time you were at a very special occasion? And all of a sudden, the brothers, the sisters, their kids getting married. Or God forbid someone passes away, and you know, it's a very terrible situation. And then that person, the wife, the widow of this person, tries for very long to get married, and they have a child. You know those moments? Or someone's trying to have children for 20 years, and then a miracle of miracles, they're able to get pregnant, they have a brit milah, everyone's crying. You know what happens? People don't know what to do with those tears. So what do they do? They whip out their phone and they start recording. Why are you doing that? Why are people doing that? Why are they not there in the moment instead of sitting watching this from behind the screen? This moment of all moments, you're going to distract yourself? Don't you want to be there fully? And the answer is, it's not just that we're shallow as people. It's that we don't know what to do. The moment is so big. The moment I am in, listen to this carefully. The moment I am in is larger than a moment. I don't know what to do with myself. How am I going to capture this forever? So in that second, what do we try and do? We actually take out our phones and we take a picture or we record it because we're terrified that this moment, in, the se- in one second, it's going to be over. And then I'm going I'm to have lost it. So the Sadiqim didn't have phones. So what did they do? They captured it. They took a Kodak moment. They froze it in time by coronating God as king in that split second. By saying, Shema Yisrael, I'm taking this beautiful ahava, this beautiful love, 
Reb Tzadka asked, adds a most magnificent addition to this idea. He says, you know, <clears throat> he says, you know, a person has in the, uh, in the Shema Yisrael, we say, the love that we have of God needs to supersede any love of anything else. So for Yaakov Avinu, his whole life, he said Shema Yisrael was easy. But he wanted to find a moment, a love that maybe could have competed with that. And he says in this moment, a moment where he couldn't imagine anything more, he says, I'm going to dedicate this also to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, I want to go from the loftiest. From Rabbi Akiva, in the moment he's dying, what does he say? Shema Yisrael, Amunai Elokeinu, Amunai Echad. Because it says, Afilu Notlim, even if they take your Neshama, even if they take your Nafshecha, Bechol Nafshecha. In fact, the last words out of Rabbi Akiva's lips when he dies is the word Echad. Could you believe? So in the highest moments, people are saying these words Shema Yisrael to, to levels that we can't even comprehend. They're sanctifying that moment. They're turning it into something beautiful. They're turning it into something special. But for me and you, that I don't know that that would ever be the case, that we could ever be in such a, on such a high level, I want to perhaps share something that I think is maybe a little bit stronger, okay? A little bit, sorry, uh, more accessible. There was once a chassid who came to sit by the, uh, foot, by the feet of his Rebbe, Rav Aaron of Karlin. And he came, he travels, the Hasidim, they used to travel great distances to sit with their uh, Rabbi, their Rebbe. They would sit for the whole of Shabbat. It would fill them up with spirituality for the whole year. Had that this Hasid walks in, he's expecting to see his Rabbi praying with his hands like this, with the talit, tears streaming down his eyes, maybe studying like this, you know, or maybe dancing in front of God. He walks in, and he sees his rabbi sitting at the table, and he's eating an apple. The chassid looks at his rabbi. He's so disappointed. He traveled all the way here to see the great Rav Aaron of Kailin. And this is what he's doing. He's eating an apple. And the rabbi, who was very, very aware, noticed that the student is looking at him. He's a little bit disappointed. Like, the rabbi, okay, he traveled all this way to read the, you know, the guy, I see him accurate. What's the, you know, to see him eat? What's the, what's the, what's the great? Rav Aaron smiles and he pulls him over. And he says, I want to explain something to you, all right? And I'm going to explain to you briefly. Rav Aaron says, you know, I'll explain to you the difference between a rabbi and his student, between a rabbi and his chassid. And the chassid looks up, he says, okay? He says, you know, I, um, I spend all my time studying the words of the Gemara, of the Halakha, of the Kabbalah. So I look at this world as if it's a mask. I look at this world, I find, you know, opportunities to do mitzvot. I'm looking all the time for opportunities to do mitzvot. I think to myself about everything that God created in this universe. There's a specific reason. I want to understand, according to Torah, why did God make this? Or why did God make this this way? Or how come the oranges are this color? Or how come these tolls are different? Why, why does the Torah talk about a cedar tree like this? And an apple tree like this, and this tree like that. And I'm always looking to understand Hashem's ways in the world. And finally, I understand uh, that there's, what's it called? The idea of this uh, thing. And I understand that this is connected to that, you know, the story of, of uh, Adam and Hava and Gan Eden. And this is the Etzadar. And I, all of a sudden, I feel, and I'm filled with such an immense desire to be able to go out and to give a Berachat HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So I go and I ask my Gabai, I say to him, please, could you bring me the apple? And as he brings me the apple, I think of all, and then I make the Berachat, and it's the most amazing feeling in the world. 
He says, but what does a normal guy, a normal chassid do? He goes to the marketplace. He sees a big fat apple. He decides, wow, I'm hungry. So he eats the apple. He doesn't want to steal it from God. Like the Gemara Berachot says, someone who eats Berachot, it's as if he's stealing from God himself. That's the price you pay, right? You Normally you pay a guy a dollar for the fruit. You pay him for the banana, you pay a dollar. You never think of stealing something from one of these guys' carts. So if you want to steal something from God's cart, what do you do? What's the price? The price of Berachot. So a regular guy, he has to make a Berachot in order to eat the fruit. He says, in short, the difference between you and me is, I eat an apple in order to make a beracha, and you make a beracha in order to eat an apple. And I thought to myself, maybe this is the version that people like us who are not Yaakov Avinu, who are not Rabbi Akiva, who are not saying Shema Yisrael at the highest, most emotional moment of their life, or at the moment of their death, maybe this is something that we could uh, approach as well. I don't know if you ever remember going to the house of a Shiva. Anyone remember? You remember going to the house of Shiva? And you remember there's a t- thing on the table over there with what's it called? And you remember that you just ate dinner and you don't want to eat again? But the guy comes in and he says, please make a beracha. Li'ilui nishmat my father. Li'ilui nishmat my mother, my sisters, my brother. And what do you do? You look, where's the mizonot? Mizonot. Where's the ha'etz? Ha'etz. Where's the hadama? Hadama. You're not looking for food. You're looking for berachot. What would happen if we could change the mindset of that moment, not just from the house of an Avel, but to the interaction that we have with the world, where what we're looking for is the beracha, and yes, I have to eat this, I have to eat that. I had a friend who was a crazy guy, okay? He was the most extreme guy you could ever imagine. He would go on these diets and to lose weight, and how would he lose weight? He would decide, I'm only eating corn, the only thing I'm eating is corn. So breakfast, lunch, and dinner, when a guy had a, corn, a can, he would open it up and he'd eat corn. Now eventually he gets sick of corn, and that's why the diet works, okay? Do you understand? This is why you'd only eat corn. And the guy, he's a very interesting guy, but he would go all the time. He would lose 20, 30 pounds, right? One day, he tells me he's on a new diet. I said, what's your new diet? He says, I realized that I'm too obsessed with food. You go into a restaurant, the guy asks you, how do you want the eggs? Over easy, da-da. what kind of bread? Whole wheat? Whole wheat. You want it with the whole wheat? With the seeds, without the seeds? Okay, with the seeds, okay. Do you want it, uh, what's it called? Do you want the, you know, the tomatoes? Okay, which kind, of to- which kind of cheese? He says, I'm sitting there choosing for 35 minutes for a little stupid sandwich. All I wanted was a sandwich so I could go back and learn after lunchtime. He says, I realized I was making, so I decided, that's it, I'm checking out. For one week, for one week, I'm not going to care what I put in my mouth. So he would go to a restaurant, I kid you not, I saw him do it. He would go up to the restaurant and he would go to the counter and the guy would say, what can I get you? And he would say, I'll have three pieces of food. And the guy says, well, what kind of food? We have a lot of... He said, it doesn't matter, you choose. He was trying to break what's called ta'avat akhila, the desire of eating. Sometimes we get a little too obsessed. I mean, it's beautiful to enjoy everything, but sometimes we get a little too obsessed. I remember someone was telling me, that you know, uh, what's it called? That uh, they went uh, uh, restaurant hopping in Manhattan. I said, why? why? They said, because this place has the best fries, and this place has the best burger, and that place has the best fried chicken, and I had that he's going from one to the next to the next in one day. And I thought to myself, you know, he's enjoying all of God's, but could you imagine, could you imagine that we did that, where we went to this rabbi because he's the best in Gemara, and we went to that rabbi because he's the best in Musar. And we went to that. He spent all the time going around. Do you do the same thing? At least it should be the same. At least it should be the same. We're not asking for Yaakov Avinu or Rabbi Akiva. We're asking if you're going to run there for the extra fries or for the poppers or for the... 
Could, do you know? Are you are you at least trying to find the, be, the the best of the best in all the other places as well? And Rabbi Uta, I want to end with one last thing. It's not just for mitzvot that are positive mitzvot. It's also for negative mitzvot. There was once a hatam sofer uh, uh, was there was a knock at his door. A guy walks in. He's crying profusely. Hatam sofer, what's the matter? Guys, let me tell you a story. He says, I was the richest man in my city. But God didn't bless me with a generous nature. What should I do? He didn't bless me to give. Our community, the Syrian community, they give. It's a very special thing. Older, younger, kids, young. It's very, very special. But each day, right, they're taught to give. You go up to the Sefer Torah, you give, you give, you give. It's only recently that people started with this. It's not a good thing. It's not a healthy thing. And if you think you're making, you're making a misvah by doing it because you're hiding your sedaqah, you're wrong. What, what has happened from the, from the Matanat Yador thing is that uh, other people also just learn to say Matanat Yador. People say, oh, I say Matanat Yador, Rabbi, because I'm humble. I don't want anyone to know that I'm giving this money. I tell them, so say that you're giving less and then give more. But don't say that you're not giving. Or don't say, oh, you know, you get me later. Talk to me on Wednesday. You know, because that spreads. It's something so special about our community. So some people say, the answer is that, you know what? People are embarrassed. The other guy gave a thousand, I could only give a hundred. So I don't want to say a hundred, I'll say matinat yado. Say a hundred, get over yourself. Does he have a nicer car? He has a nicer car. Does he fly, fly private jets? He flies private jets. So if you can't do that, what do you do? You're going to go fly, fly a private jet? You're not going to do it. You're going to live within your means. So live within your means at the Sefer Torah also. Okay? Listen to this. So the guy walks in and he says, every day I was a miser, I never gave anything to anybody. The time came, he says, where the wheel of fortune turned and all of a sudden I had nothing. And I came to the Beta Knesset and I tried to ask for money, but no one would give me because they knew that all the time that I had, I didn't give anybody. I went to the city's tzedakah coffers and I said, no individuals want to give me. Could I at least have from the city's tzedakah fund? And they said, the tzedakah fund is for people who were never able to, you know, not able to make it. You're someone who all the time when you were able to make it, you never gave a care about anybody else, we're not giving you a dime. Guys, eight kids at home, there's no food to eat. I'm not judging anybody here. I'm just saying, this is the story. Eight kids, no food, what's he supposed to do? He goes to the Hatam Sufi, he travels to his, to his uh, town, he walks in the door, he tells him the story, he says, please, I come here, he says, not for a handout, he says, I'm coming for a loan. Can I borrow a thousand rubles? The Hatam Sufer says, I wish I had that money. He says, but any money that I have, I give out to poor people. I don't have any money. He says, but I'm touched by your story that no one's willing to help. You're a, a, a need that has no option. He says, here, he opens up his cabinets. He takes out, he has some silver candlesticks for Shabbat. He has a silver plate, you know, that he you would use maybe for the Seder. And he says, here, take these, sell them, and Hashem should give you the money. Unbelievable. The Hatam Sofer, the way he thinks is, you could do a misvah, lighting Shabbat candles with silver candlesticks. You could also light regular candles with nothing. Do you get the mitzvah with nothing? Yes, you do. That's a hidur mitzvah. Giving tzedakah is a mitzvah, midoraita. It's one of the most powerful mitzvot. It's one of the identifying features of a Jew is to have rahmanut on somebody. So he chooses to give him, to sell, and he sells the items. And the guy gets a thousand. And the Hatam Sofer gives him a berakah for 20 minutes. And Hashem should bless you. And whatever, whichever way you turn. And no one who's a, who trying to rip you off should come your way. And he gives him a magnificent blessing. He should make, my, he should make the money back and, and rise again to his wealth. Rabotai, the Hatam Sofer's brachot are nothing to sneeze at. Nothing to sneeze at. 
And this man, he makes his one sale, another sale, turns over double, triple, quadruple the profit before you know it. He has more money than he had before. The day comes when he's got all the money, he comes to travels to the Khatam Sofer. He's got a thousand gulden, whatever it is, a ruble, I don't know what it was. He gives him the money and he opens up a box like this big. Opens up a box and he says, and because you helped me when nobody else would, I have something special for you. It just as a token of my thanks, as a token of my akatato. Opens it up and there sitting in this thing is like a 10 carat diamond, giant, beautiful. The light is dancing off the, the, the diamond like you can't believe. Hatam Sofer's eyes go wide. He takes the diamond, he's looking at it. Wow, he says. I never saw a diamond like this in my life. This must be very expensive. I can't believe it. Thank you so much. All the students are sitting there with their mouth hanging open because everybody here already guessed. He's not allowed to take the diamond. It's what's it called? It's called Rebit, interest. One of the worst sins, it says. Right? Malverebit is one of the worst sins. The rabbi is sitting there looking it over. The students, their mouths are hanging open, wider and wider. Had that, the guy who brought it, bigger and bigger smile. Look how happy the rabbi is. The rabbi says, you know, he says, it must have been very hard to get this. He says, very, very hard. He says, wow, where did you even find it? The guy tells him where he found it. The kid, the students can't believe it. He walks up to the window. He's looking at it in the light because it wasn't good enough in the studio, in the, in the, in the, in the, or in the study. He, now he's looking at the light. Wow, he's calling his family. Everyone, look, look at the diamond he gave us. And they all, they can't believe it. Someone is there nudging each other. You tell them, you tell them, you tell them, you tell them. You know, finally, Hatam Sufer smiles at his students. He just smiles at them. And he takes the diamond and he says, thank you so much. He goes, but I'm not allowed to take it. Uh, there's a halakha of ribit, which means that I can't take interest on money I lent you. But it's so beautiful. Thank you so much. And he gives it back to him. Anyway, he leaves. Hatam Sufer turns to his students. And knowing the question they were asking this whole time, he says... How often am I going to get a chance to do the mitzvah of not lending with ribit? Who's going to come and offer interest to the khatam sofer? No one. It's never going to happen. Finally, someone came. And not a small interest, a giant interest. He says, you don't want me to savor and to enjoy that mitzvah as best I can? Wow, magnificent. Beautiful. What a beautiful averah this is. I never saw such a gorgeous Avera Avon in my life. This is the nicest Avon anyone has ever brought to me before. Do you understand? Stunning sense. Beautiful opportunity. The Hatam Sofer saw this as a great chance to be able to fulfill the mitzvah in the most beautiful possible way. And he took that chance. So not only are we meant to look for chances to do positive mitzvot, but also Rabotai, when a chance comes, an opportunity comes, where we know that we're going to be mitgaber, we're going to be uh, strengthen ourselves to fight against an avon. In those moments, we have a chance to be able to also to shine, to savor, to say Shema Yisrael, like Yaakov Avinu once did. Baruch Hashem Amen. Amen.